Welcome to this podcast from Harvest Community Church of Huntersville, North Carolina, where our vision is to make disciples who make disciples. I'm your host, Liz Stefanini. So in his book titled Prayer, Philip Yancey wrote something that to me is both interesting and important. He said this, if prayer stands at, as the place where God and humans meet, then I must learn about prayer. Most of my struggles in the Christian life circle around the same two themes. Why doesn't God act the way we want God to? And why don't I act the way God wants me to? Prayer is the precise point where those two themes converge. Let me read part of that again. Most of the stroke, my struggles, Leancey says, in the Christian life circle around the same two themes. Why doesn't God act the way we want God to? And why don't why I don't act the way God wants me to. Prayer is the precise point where those two themes converge. Today, we are uh, continuing in our 40 days of prayer, uh, which began last Sunday, really, with an introductory message. And if you're a guest today, we welcome you and we invite you, uh, if you'd like to follow along through the weeks, uh, if you plan to continue attending, we have these prayer guides and all week long people are able to dive into the theme for the week and then we culminate it on the Sunday um, and today uh, it's prayer surrender. Every week what we're going to do is look at n- not what Jesus taught about prayer by his words, but how he actually prayed. We're going to look at prayers of Jesus recorded in the Bible. And from them, we're going to try to understand what it means in context, what it meant in context for him. But then we're going to also going to apply it to our lives. How does that help us pray? Today, we're going to talk about how surrender to God's will is a process. And we're going to, we're going to see how persevering prayer fits in with that. So Matthew chapter 26, I invite your attention to verse 36, and we'll read verse 36 to 46 together. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to the, his disciples and found them sleeping. 
Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. And then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Now, here's the setting. Here's the context of this. This occurs after the Last Supper. We're in the last days of Jesus' earthly life. And after the Last Supper, Jesus predicted to his disciples that they would all deny him. And they left from the place where they had celebrated this Last Supper. They walked over to the Garden of Gethsemane, which we're going to talk about in a minute. And there he prayed an agonizing prayer of surrender. we, We really get to see his deep human emotions in this prayer. And it's, it's a prayer that teaches us a lot about him and a lot about prayer. Now, it, in some ways, it's a little bit unusual place to start in the 40 days of prayer. And originally, as I was putting things together, I had the passages in somewhat of a chronological order. And this would have been near the end of the 40 days of prayer. But there were some some practical reasons why we we switched a couple of things around. But also, conceptually... It's a great place to start when we think about prayer, realizing that prayer essentially is surrendering to God's will. Before we're going to pray for 40 days, or however many days are left out of the 40 now, that's a great thing to note, and we're going to note it. So let's let's walk through this passage, and let's come to understand Jesus who he was, who he is, what he was experiencing, and how it affects us. So verse 36 says, then, again, this is after the Lord's Supper, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. Now, Gethsemane was an olive grove. It was on the western slopes of Mount Olivet. It was... Uh, probably means oil press. And it was a place probably where olive oil was made. And it was a place we know that Jesus and his disciples frequented, especially in that last week. If you look at some of the other gospels, they, they spent the night there. So this is where Jesus is. Now to, to, to set the stage, For what Jesus was feeling and experiencing in this moment, it's very important to say this. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen to him over the next few hours. 
There was no question in his mind why he came. He came to the earth to live and to die. It was from all eternity, it was planned, and now it was being executed. There was, there was no doubt. In other words, don't ever think that any of this surprised Jesus. That, oh, I'm, I'm gonna actually be betrayed. I'm, I'm gonna actually be crucified. No, he knew what was coming. So as he is saying this to his disciples, hey, let's go here. He knows what it means. He knows what it entails. Death was imminent for him. In fact, after the trans, let's look at a few passages that support this. After the transfiguration, when Peter, James, and John, these same three disciples that are with him in the garden in that uh, most intimate setting, they were with him when he was transfigured. And after that happened in Luke 9:51, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. It was like his life was making a beeline towards the cross. Now, in this extended passage of Matthew chapter 26, think about all the times that Jesus talked about his death, verses 1 and 2. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Before the... Last Supper, while he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came and anointed his head with some very expensive perfume and, and, and there was complaint about it. It's like, oh, this money could have been used for the poor. But notice what Jesus said even then in verse 11 and 12, the poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare for burial. And then he sent his disciples on ahead to find a place where they could eat the Passover meal together. And here is what he he told them. Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. And then after that last supper, as they started that trek over to the Mount, to Mount Olivet, as he predicted for them what was going to happen in verse 31, Jesus told them this very night, you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Again, that's a reference to his death. I point this out so that we understand and grasp what Jesus' mindset was. He was not going into it with any lack of understanding. He knew he was going to die. He was committed to die for our sins. He was committed to pay that price all along. So that's what his mindset was. He was preparing for it. He was moving for it. And remember, he was fully God and fully human at the same time. He was the God man. 100% God, 100% man. But what we see in this event of that night, we see the depth of his human emotions. For instance, look at verse 37. He took Peter 
and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. In Psalm 42 and 43, there's a refrain that keeps being repeated. My, why, my soul, are you downcast? Jesus uses these words from Psalm 42 as he becomes the righteous sufferer of the Psalms. He says it's sorrow to the point of death. That shows how intense his grief was. It was it, almost as if he were saying, I, I feel like I am dying is probably the way we would say it today. And in these agonizing moments of his, he wanted the people that were closest to him nearby. He wanted his closest relationships with him. So he says, keep watch with me. Stay here and keep watch with me. And that, that implies that he wanted them to be alert and to watch for what's happening. And maybe it implies that he wanted them to pray. He certainly w- will say that later, but... Maybe it's included in this statement as well. Verse 39, going a little farther, he fell on his, with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Now, Jewish people typically would pray standing up. That was the typical posture of prayer. It was unusual for them to bow. They did bow sometimes, but they often prayed standing up in a posture like that. Here, look at his posture. He is falling on the ground. I mean, this this is a position of humility. This is a position of, of desperation. And he's just... Now, remember what, how we saw from the scripture? He came to die. He came to do this. He came to accomplish God's will. And the will of God the Father was for Jesus to die and pay for our sins on the cross and bring salvation to all humanity. That's what God wanted. That's what he as God wanted. And now when it's here, Father... Is it possible? Is there any way that this cup can be taken away? What an interesting question and an interesting moment for Jesus to say something like that. What did he mean cup? You see, I have it underlined. Well, Let's think about what cup meant in the Old Testament. Because Jesus is born in that time as the transition between the Old and the New Testament. Now, sometimes in the Old Testament, cup was a metaphor for blessing. But most often, it referred to judgment. So, for instance, Psalm 75, 7 and 8, it is God who judges. He brings one down, he exalts another. In the hand of the Lord is a cup 
full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours it out and all the wicked of the earth drink it down to its very dregs. So the image is they are drinking the judgment of God. Jeremiah 25, 15, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel said to me, take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. This is very important. Nobody wants to die. Nobody wants the physical pain of death. But I don't believe at all in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus was so sorrowful and so crushed and so emotional because he didn't want to die physically. I believe he knew and understood that his death was a vicarious death for our sin, our salvation. He was taking on the sin of the world. In other words, God was pouring out his wrath on sin. That's the meaning of the cross. You know, we the cross for us sometimes is a symbol, right? It, we wear it as jewelry. We see it so much. And we don't understand the horror of the judgment of God. The wrath of God was satisfied where? At the cross of Jesus Christ. So in other words, what Jesus is doing, this one who came for the express purpose of bringing us salvation. He got in the face of it. He was near it and he knew that he who was one with God the Father for all of eternity, they had never been separated They were one that on the cross, he was going to be separated from God the Father for a time because sin was going to be on him. The whole weight of all the sin of the world would be on his shoulders. You know, Paul said that, right? In 2 Corinthians 5, he has made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to become sin for us. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus knew all of that. He knew that he would cry later. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So Jesus definitely pours out his emotions. Remember, he's fully human. (laughs) And fully God. And he, and, and just the weight of all of this is on him. And he, he says, yet, yet, not as I will, but as you will. Not as I will, but as you will. So there are some observations we'll make as we're going along through the passage. And here's the first one. This account magnifies Jesus' humanity and the unthinkable cost of his sacrifice. You know, you put something under a magnifying glass, what are you doing? You're you're making it larger. You're making it come into larger, clearer focus. And when we look at a passage like this, it's, it's a doctrine. Jesus is fully God and fully man. We can really see... What that looked like, it magnifies his humanity. 
Another thing, it, I think, a, a legitimate observation is even those closest to God sometimes struggle with obedience to God's will. Even though he was God, I mean, there's nobody closer to God than Jesus, right? Because he is God in the flesh. And yet he is admitting that he's struggling with God's will here. He's admitting the struggle of taking on all of this sin in our place. The writer of Hebrews elaborated on what was happening here. Hebrews 5, 7 through 9, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Well, let's go back to Matthew 26, pick up in verse 40. So he's prayed this, oh, Father, will you, can you take this cup away? So he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Couldn't you men watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, these disciples had lived and walked with Jesus for three years. They knew him. They knew a lot about who he was. And they, their spirit was willing. They, they wanted to be with him. They wanted to support him. In fact, they had, they had left their lives, right? They had left their jobs, their occupations. They followed him. Their spirit was definitely willing. And they said to him along the way, Jesus, we're going we're gonna to go with you. <laughs> we're not going to turn away from you. And he told them on the way, all of you are. And they were tired. These were exhausting days. How many of you know that grief wears you out? (laughs) Right? They were grieving. They were watching all this happening. It was late into the night, so they were physically tired. They were grieving. And it doesn't always make our circumstances go away. Jesus' agonizing prayer in Gethsemane shows us that prayer is a part of the path to victory. Surrender to God's will is a process and persevering prayer is essential to that process. Bow your heads with me, please. Thanks again for joining us today from Harvest Community Church. This podcast is also available on our website, harvestcharlotte.com. Please go there if you want to send a question or comment, learn more about our ministries, or find out how you can donate to support the podcast.